So Canto 5 of The Purgatory, for me it's actually one of those cantos that when you first read it is really quite confusing and beyond a sort of surface telling of the story, um, you wonder quite why it's there. It can sort of seem a bit trivial in a way, but it does yield up deeper insights. Um, it does so partly by paying attention to details that pop up in the text, and we'll come to those, but also by realising that Dante deliberately wrote his Divine Comedy to be read at a number of levels. Now, he explains this himself. Um, it was actually very standard practice in the medieval world because they experienced life quite spontaneously at operating a number of different levels from the immediate material biological life if you like through to the divine spiritual sense of vitality pulsing through all things and they lived in an enchanted world or to use Blake's expression they had fourfold vision and we have to work quite hard in a way to recover that now but it work, it helps to bear that in mind and I've not quite spelt that out yet. So here's how Dante himself described it. Um, it was described by others as well, but here's how he did it. Um, he said that there's a literal meaning to things, there's an allegorical meaning to things, there's a moral meaning to things, and then there's an anagogic meaning to things. Um, anagogic, by the way, just comes from the Greek meaning ascent, so it's sort of the divine view. And he uses in one um, bit of his writing, not in the Divine Comedy, uh, I think it was in a letter, um, he uses the um, psalm um, when Israel was led out of Egypt, which he'd encountered earlier actually in the purgatory. And he says that the literal meaning of that is literally when Moses led the people of Egypt out of Egypt. The allegorical meaning is that this was a sort of type for how Christ was going to lead people to the promised land. So the early Hebrew experience was a foretaste um, of the complete manifestation of that experience as the Christian might see it. Um, particularly, you might say, the sort of the churched Christian um, living very much in the Christian world. Um, but Dante was aware that that wasn't the only way or even the most expansive way to understand things. The moral way of reading the expression when Israel was led out of Egypt is to realise that it's a movement that all people can make. Um, the actual, another way of putting it rather than saying the moral um, is actually the tropological reading and that comes from tropos, the Greek for turning point. And so it's the turning point that's available actually to all people that again, when Israel's led out of Egypt, they were just um, enacting, which is that all can turn from in slavery to freedom. And then the anagogic, way of reading it um, is that this is indeed the way that all creation will go um, that all will be led to freedom in the fullness of time so that in a way is the kind of deepest meaning um, it's the the meaning seen by God um, under the aspect of eternity um, and that can be felt inside us if we tune into that level of reality too and I think that having a practice at tuning into that level of reality is what this canto offers us. So let me just first of all kind of go through what literally happened in the canto 
Um, it begins with Dante and Virgil walking away from the indolent souls, remember Balacqua and all that, um, and then one of them calls out, and um, having noticed um, that Dante's body is blocking the sun, um, he spots the broken light. Um, I think that's him showing how disturbing that was, this sense that the light that beginning to feel can pervade all things in purgatory is blocked out by Dante's body, um, and that troubles them. Virgil says, um, don't get drawn back, and why aren't you standing like a strong tower, um, pushing on forward, i.e. kind of not like the indolent, uh, wandering around in uh, rather pointless circles, if sometimes pleasurable enough. Um, and um, Dante is embarrassed, he blushes again. Remember, we've had that before um, when Virgil has told him off. Um, and so we got the sense here of Virgil in this canto really is learning his lessons well. He is actually really taking on board um, the focus, um, the sense of intention, um, his will and his desire coming together um, as he leads Dante. Um, but Dante himself is a bit being pushed around, being pulled in all sorts of different directions and being drawn back by the indolent. And the indolent, um, you know, aren't quite sure what they're doing. And they're still learning that in the many years they're spending in purgatory. But they do push on and then they come across a new group of souls. And they notice, first of all, that these souls are chanting a psalm, Psalm 51, the miserere mei, and have mercy upon me, O Lord. It's always worth reading the psalms or the canticles that Dante mentions and um, Psalm 51, I mean, it's, it's most famous for having been set um, to the beautiful chant of Allegri, Allegri's Miserere, um, which gives it this absolutely transcendent quality. Um, but reading through the psalm, um, it's actually quite a choppy um, kind of psalm, and it's quite a pleading sort of psalm. You know, it's really, cleanse me from my sin, lead me away, you know, I know you don't want sacrifices, what's it going to take? Um, and it's a signal about the state of these souls that you might say they turn to Psalm 51 and are chanting it now. Um, they too are easily distracted um, because the minute they see Dante, and again they notice that his body's blocking the sun, disturbs them, their chanting stops and Dante the poet says they gasped and ood. Um, they were easily led astray. Um, so that theme is continuing. Um, yeah, then though they react very differently from the indolent um, because um, they rush around and the rest of the canto is very much filled by um, descriptions of people rushing around and also of violent deaths, um, metaphors of like meteors and storms and cavalry um, and lightning are used. So we'd now we've moved into a very different state of mind, um, even though um, it it still kind of has this sense of the indolent, that they're not quite sure what they're doing, what they're about, and there's a lack of focus. So you've got Virgil very focused, Dante a bit inclined to be pushed and pulled, and then even this new so group of souls um, are quite confused and agitated as well, um, which is the sort of third dynamic um, that's in the canto. Now what happens um, is that Virgil says to um, Dante, um, you can pay attention to this new group of souls, but keep walking at the same time. Now this is a little detail that seems inconsequential, um, but I think it's actually really very significant, because what it's suggesting is that Dante can be both focused on his own intention, 
he can have his own will whilst paying attention to others as well. Um, so he can, as it were, do two things at once. Um, it's an, a hint about integrating different aspects of himself and being able to exist in a world where there are different pushes and pulls around him without losing his intention. So it's actually quite a significant moment in the canto. What happens is that two of these new souls, the ones rushing around, come up to Dante. They have an exchange. Uh, Virgil says, yep, you can talk to them in this way, keeping your own focus. They then swing back. They rush back to the main group of souls. Um, and then all of them charge towards Dante and Virgil. And Virgil says, look, watch out. They're going to all plead um, to be heard by you. And three souls in particular have voice in this canto. Um, the first one um, is called uh, Jacopo. He's not actually named in the canto, but the commentators have worked out who it is. Um, he was a magistrate, um, so a kind of you know intermediary official. Um, he um, displeased one of his rulers um, and was brutally murdered. Um, and the canto describes quite vividly how his last sight on earth was bleeding to death, um, his blood creating a pool around him. Um, but he remembers to call on God at the last moment and so finds himself in purgatory here. Then, quite quickly, another soul interrupts. This is the soul of Buon Conte del Montefeltro. Now, you remember we've met his father, Guido del Montefeltro, um, in the Inferno. Um, he was the chap who was um, a great military leader and um, when he had become a Franciscan at the end of his life to um, sort of reform himself and ready himself for heaven, the Pope had asked him to use his um, tactical skills to help the Pope win a battle. He'd given up um, the um, Franciscan way of life. Um, the Pope had told him, if you remember, that he would forgive any sin that that might imply. Um, and at Guido's death, there'd been a fight between a, de a demon and St. Francis, and the demon had won, in inverted commas, and dragged Guido to Inferno. So we're now meeting his son, uh, Buono Conte da Montefeltro, and um, interestingly too, he gets caught up in the wars between the Ghibellines and the Guelphs, um, and at his death, um, which again is um, bloody, he said that he wandered having his throat having been gashed until he finally died. Um, uh, but his body, um, once he had died, um, was then fought over by um, a demon um, and an angel. And this time the angel took his soul to heaven, um, uh, Buena Conte explains, but the demon dragged his soul um, into a mire, into a swamp. There was then um, a storm was conjured by this demon and it was swept along the Arno and eventually the place of his body um, was never found. And it's quite likely that um, Dante uh, knew in his life um, the story of how this quite significant figure um, in the Civil War um, was killed but then his body not found. And so in some ways he's giving his answer revealed to him um, as he travels through the purgatory. And then um, right at the end, we're almost at the end of the canto now, right at the end, a third soul quickly and suddenly still, but rather beautifully appears. And she is called Pia. We don't know much about her, 
but in her few lines she intimates that um, she too died suddenly um, because her husband it seems defenestrated her, pushed her out of a window one day. Um, but she, rather than having um, a detailed account of her violent death, um, with a sort of implication that the, the previous souls were still rather uh, preoccupied with the manner of their death, she um, actually says to Dante, look, when you return to Earth um, and have rested from your journey here, then please pray for me. And the cantor ends rather beautifully on that note. So what's going on here? Well, um, the literal meaning um, is that these are souls who met sudden violent deaths, but they did manage to call on God, or um, in the case um, of Buena Conte, um, call on the Virgin Mary. Um, and so um, their angels carried them to purgatory, um, which is where they are now. Um, so it's a kind of another literal warning about beware that you don't face sudden violent death and are left outside of grace. But that's this formulaic mechanical understanding, which I think Dante um, is very much wanting us to move beyond. And so we can move to the level, the second level um, of the reading and begin to notice some of the details that, that nudge us in that direction. Now, one of them is we return again to this theme of praying for the souls of the dead and how that can help them in purgatory, even reduce their time in purgatory. Now we've encountered this twice before, um, and we're beginning to learn something about it. And I think there's something further to learn about it again here. Um, actually, one of the commentators, Helen Luke, she um, offers a reflection on the verb intercede to help open this up because she notices that um, it comes from the Latin sidere, um, inter meaning sort of in between and then sidere, which can mean um, walk or go, but it can also have the implication of being transfigured and even dying to a new life. And the implication therefore um, of that word reminds us of Dante's new stance, which Virgil is trying to foster in him, that even whilst Dante is on his walk through um, the purgatory. Um, he can listen to others, he can stand in between their predicament and um, the divine uh, goal that they're eventually going to reach in purgatory, um, but help them on their way. Um, that is sort of buried in the etymology of the word um, intercede. And there's the sense therefore, the second level of the canto, that Dante is becoming capable of that. Um, he is not just on his own journey, but can help the souls around him on their journey as well. Um, you get other little hints and nudges in the canto that this might be going on. Because, for example, um, yeah, the um, Virgil tells the, the indolent that they might honour Dante as well. Um, and that's a new stance towards Dante, um, a kind of respect, a sort of connection. Um, that is mutually beneficial. Um, yeah, the new souls, the ones that are speeding around all over the place, um, they call Dante blessed. They see that if his body is on Mount Purgatory, that means that he must be blessed by God for that um, otherwise unnatural thing to happen. They also say that they will trust Dante, even they know, even though they know that his will is still imperfect. He's still 
getting a bit pushed and pulled around. Um, when Dante looks at the souls, um, he can't at first focus on them. He can't see them quite as individuals. And I think that gives an indication of him seeing something about their state, um, which of course he must do if he's going to be able to help them. They had violent deaths, sudden deaths, and I think you can say that the trauma of that um, has left their souls jangled now, agitated now, um, and part of what purgatory is about for them um, is recovering from that. Um, but they also see, as one of the souls puts it, the light from heaven in their last moment and call upon that. And that implies that um, they had the capacity to see the light from heaven, but perhaps their violent deaths were in some way connected to the disruption that fed and shaped their lives, so they couldn't fully focus on that light in their life on earth. And so are now here in purgatory, having to learn to draw down that light into a more settled and calm soul in order to travel up Mount Purgatory. And in fact, they notice that Dante too has a kind of peace and focus about him, even though it's not perfect. And they ask Dante to inspire them, to share that with them in calling for both his intercession, but also asking for the prayers of those on earth. So in other words, there's a more allegorical, the second level of meaning in the return to this theme of praying for those who are in purgatory, because the souls here are beginning to see that it's something about the peace and calmness um, that is in Dante's presence um, that might be brought to them by the prayers of others um, that they need. Um, there's, it's not just the mechanical get prayers of others in order to reduce my time in hell, um, in purgatory. Um, it's also there's something about the quality um, that they're beginning to feel they can open up to. Um, so they're learning something uh, deeper about um, this idea as well. Um, and of course, if you're open to what you need, you're much more capable of receiving it and taking it in. Um, so that maybe is why um, it has the effect of reducing their time in purgatory. Um, they're becoming more conscious and therefore their wills and intents get that bit more gathered and focused. But there is a third level, um, the tropological, um, this turning meaning. Because when you think about it, there's a very interesting contrast drawn up here. That Dante um, is beginning to learn both self-possession in Virgil telling him to walk straight, to walk up the mountain, but also something of self-sacrifice. Because at the same time, he's able not just to do the one thing, focusing on his own journey, but his vision is able to reach a bit more broadly to those around him. So um, offer them something as well um, from the qualities of his own soul. Um, so there's this combination of self-possession and self-sacrifice, which he's moving into. Um, he's beginning to develop as well. Um, and it contrasts very much with the souls that they meet, who in life um, weren't in possession of themselves at their death, um, both from the violence of their death, but also perhaps from the chaos of their life um, that the violence led up to. Also, their sacrifice wasn't a self-sacrifice, um, a turning to them as Dante is doing, but they were sacrificed in the bloody, violent nature of their deaths. So you've got 
um, by contrast, um, Dante, his more advanced state, if you like, which is this combination, you might even say of love, being able to see that there's more in life than just his own journey, his own uh, concerns, um, but keeping focused on his own journey, his own concerns as well. We learn just a little bit more about what love is like. So that's the tropological thing that um, Dante's beginning to instill inside himself. Um, we then get a hint in this canto of the anagogic view, of the divine view, which is, of course, that God's knowledge, sight, love, desire, will um, is completely intent and steady and calm and focused, and at the same time is able to overflow, uh, not just into the souls around and about, a bit like Dante, but throughout the whole of creation. Um, so we're getting an intimation here of the heavenly vision as well. If you can, as it were, look through the apparent surface chaos um, and the seeming literal meanings that scream out at you first of all, um, have the eyes to see, the ears to hear, more deeply into the gentle undercurrent that's beginning to push through this canto. Um, so, you know, if that's right, um, uh, I think what Dante the poet is giving us is a chance to experience something of what Dante the pilgrim actually encountered at this stage on the purgatory, which of course is part of the reason why Dante the poet is a genius, but also why this is a spiritually transformative text. It can work on us if we put the time and effort into it. And my surmise is that's why Dante puts the last soul in this canto um, being um, this rather beautiful encounter finally with Pia, um, the woman who says to Dante, you know, when you've rested from your journey, please remember me. Um, she leaves you with the feeling that she's a bit further along the way than the souls that she's with, um, that in her life, whilst she met um, a violent end, um, she nonetheless had managed to instill in her life some of the focus, some of the calm um, that meant that at the point of death, you know, even if it was the few seconds when she was tumbling out of the window, meant that she could actually go to that place, could rest in that place as she passed over. And the image leaves us with, again, a kind of tropological or anagogic intimation of what this whole journey is about, which is that it's about encountering a deeper level of reality, resting there, drawing from there, allowing that to change and form you. So I hope that gives a sense of how a canto that can perhaps seem a bit inconsequential, if full of action, nonetheless can be read in these various ways, um, moving on from the literal to the allegorical, through the tropological, which is where things actually start turning and changing for you, to give a glimpse of the anagogic, and that which is the divine point of view. And that's important because, of course, it's not just to read about purgatory, but is in some way to enter the spirit of purgatory yourself, because purgatory is precisely the state of mind that enables one to become more capable of divine vision.